Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. We'll go and get started. Hopefully, our other panelists uh, make their way in here. Otherwise, Jim's going to get a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my name is Graham, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Welcome to the panel on. Lust, Lust, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Thank you. (laughs) I'll be the moderator for this panel in the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the essay message. This session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin the meeting with a few moments of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Someone please read the essay Purpose from page 201 in the white book. I'll be glad to. I'm Tracy and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Tracy. The essay Purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. It does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thanks, Tracy. Our panelists for the panel are Jim... Jordan and Larry, believe it or not. Uh, each will share for seven to ten minutes, or not. <laughs> we will then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. Sure. Folks, I'm Gemma. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Jim. So, um, as the expression goes, um, it's a privilege to be here today. I mean, it's really a privilege to be here today because apparently you have to be sober for 18 months before you can actually serve on this panel. And uh, I achieved my 18 months sobriety literally two days ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if this meeting was like Thursday, I would not be qualified to be here. So, um, so I've been sober since September 1st of 2016. And... Um, 
you know, the title of this uh, session is Lust, Powerful, Baffling, and Cunning. And it's, uh, you know, very dangerous, very tricky, too. Um, September 1st, 2016 is the day of my sobriety. I'd like to just take a minute and tell you what life was for me on August 31st, 2016. So on August 31st, 2016, I was just fired from my job. I was um, fired from my job, a job that I really enjoyed, a job that I thought I was good at. Um, but And I thought I, a job I, I thought I was untouchable. But the company was very, very quick to let me go. I was uh, facing a financial disaster. I wasn't sure how I was going to pay the mortgage. I wasn't sure how I was going to pay for the schooling of my kids. Uh, my marriage was um, in a bad shape. You know, my wife, uh, she just did not know about my addiction, uh, 30 years of addiction. I've covered my tracks very well until... Uh, she discovered it, uh, but at that point she was angry. She was um, she was going through a shock. And if you guys know the term PTSD, post post traumatic stress disorder, I uh, I caused PTSD with my wife, and I uh, you know she she was in incredible pain. I could look at her, and I could see the pain in her eyes. Um, I thought my career was over. Um, you know, in, I'm in the corporate world, and um, you know, in the corporate world, your reputation is everything. Uh, funny thing is, this was the second job I was fired from in an 18-month window, and I didn't think I would be able to find a job ever again. And um, I was worried about um, my children. You know, I've got two kids, and uh, my son. He's now 15. He's younger. Uh, he suffered from childhood childhood depression. So with us adults, when you're depressed, we hunker down. We keep quiet. With when children have depression, especially with my son Burke, um, he expressed his depression by physical anger. He attacked people around him, and um, he attacked my daughter. He attacked my wife. He attacked us. That's uh, that's how he expressed his an- anger, and I was pretty sure that if, she, if and when they found out about this, my son would regress back to his angry, physical um, depression. And I was worried about his life. I was actually worried about my wife's life, my daughter's life, because he would be that that, that dangerous. So. So it wasn't a great place to be. So that was August 31st, 2016. Um, in fact, I remember getting up that night, middle of the night, I woke up and I said, oh my God, thanks God, it was a nightmare. I just realized it wasn't a nightmare. It was all real. It was all real and it was all happening. So, so um, how did that happen? You know, lust, powerful, cunning, baffling. That's that's how it happened. I, um, you know, my short story. I came here as a graduate student 30 years ago. Uh, I met uh, this wonderful person. She eventually became my wife. We had just moved in together. 
I remember um, I was working as an engineer. I was also doing my MBA <coughs> as I was uh, working. We had just moved in together. Uh, I was happy with my uh, job. And one night after my MBA class, uh, I was taking night classes, I decided to stop by a local strip club. I was living in California, and I thought it was a wonderful experience. You get to watch these women dance naked, have a couple of beers, and I told myself I deserved it. That was I was working hard, you know, I was studying hard, you know, and this was my me time. Lust is... Uh, have you guys watched the movie uh, Little Shop of Horrors? <laughs> Lust is like that uh, man-devouring plant. Starts as this cute little flower <clears throat> and then it demands more and more and more from you. That was exactly like me. Um, strip club escalated into massage parlors. Massage parlors escalated into brothels. That escalated into... Um, prostitutes that escalated into um, one night affairs uh, over time you know that little cute little seed turned into this monster plant and it was growing and growing and at every stage it was taking more from me so but I've covered my tracks for 28 years um, until um 2016. At that point, my addiction reached a brand new high, and I, um, you know, I started having an affair with this person, and it turned out that she she was just as much of an addict that I was. Actually, I did not know that I was an addict. Um, so we started acting out together. Somehow, uh, my company found out about all of this, and on August 12, 2016, at 5 p.m., I have received a phone call and I was being investigated and I was asked to step into a meeting on Monday, August 12th is a Friday, in Denver, Colorado at the headquarters of the company to speak to lawyers and private investigators. I was fired from my job just like that. All that time I kept telling myself, this behavior I'm entitled to it because I work so hard and I make good money and I can't do this. I thought I was entitled to it because I'm under a lot of stress and this was how I was managing my stress and I was entitled to it. I thought I was entitled to it because what this is what every guy does, you know. The, the only difference between you know guys who do or who don't, <coughs> I thought it was because they can or they cannot. That's how I kept justifying this behavior, this powerful, baffling, cunning lust to myself for 28 years. So, so you guys know what it was like between August 12th and August 31st. On August 31st, I reached a conclusion that this powerful, baffling, cunning lust would either kill me, literally, not figuratively, literally, or kill my wife, or kill my children. And I decided to put a stop to it. So, I'm grateful to this program. I've started uh, coming to the program meetings. Um, I've started working the steps uh, with my sponsors. Um, I, and I'll tell you, I have learned so much from the 12 steps. Learned so much. Now, I'm in the corporate world. You know, 
I cannot tell you the number of management courses I've been through, you know, trainings, etc. You know, I've I have done two master's degrees, but I will tell you I have learned more working the steps about me, about my relationship with the higher power, about my relationship with people around me. Um, I learn more about this than I've learned uh, through any other means um, during my entire life. So today I'm grateful. I've been uh, sober for 18 months and two days. Um, I have the huge uh, privilege of sponsoring two other people. And um I gave the example of a little shop of horrors to describe <clears throat> lust. I'll tell you 12 steps. Have you seen Blues Brothers? Yeah, you've seen yeah. it. That's yeah. funny. This movie is so funny. Every time I watch that movie, I laugh. <laughs> the first time I watched that movie, I laughed my ass off. So. And I think 12 steps, walking through the 12 steps, is sort of like watching Blues Brothers for the first time. You laugh. But now I, as I go through the program with the people that I'm sponsoring, Sort of like you watch the Blues Brothers again, and every time you discover these little Easter eggs here and there, ha! Huh, I did not catch that before. That's that's very funny. They plant all these little things, and as you watch, I uh, watch it more. You know, you find these things. So, um, sponsoring other people is sort of like me. Uh, that's funny. I keep learning more, and I really enjoy it. And I, um, it helps me maintain my sobriety. It helps me deal with this beast uh, disease. Um, I. I'm going to use the word, and I was conscious to use the word, I have recovered today, but I'm not cured. And I recognize that that word recovery is a big, bold statement. And I'm sharing this with you because for those of you who are still going through a journey, I feel like I have recovered, and I hope you can go through the same journey and recover as well. But I also know that I'm not cured. The disease is inside of me. And the key to it is always being vigilant for me. I uh, I must be vigilant at all times. And I'll give you an example. You know, I like exercising. I like going to gyms. And sometimes that's a dangerous place to be. You, know, um, you, know, you look around and sometimes you cannot help up seeing these attractive women working out. So um, I've come up with a couple of tricks. Uh, and I'll share with you. I don't know if that helps you or not. But one of my tricks is... Now, first step, you can't avoid. First look, you cannot avoid. Second look, it's my decision to avoid second look. So I stick with that rule. My second rule, always look neck up. Always look neck up. Never neck down. Try to avoid looking at the body. So, so that's my journey. Uh, that's my story. That's uh, and I'm sticking with the with this story. I I uh, I, you know, I I love this program because you know to me this program tells me miracles happen every day. Amen. Miracles happen every day, and I I get encouraged seeing these miracles, and I hope you experience one of these miracles too. So that's my story. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. So seeing as we don't have any other panelists, I'll just share real briefly, and then we'll open it up for sharing, and I'll read the guidelines. Um, I'm Graham, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey. <laughs> um, lust, cunning, baffling, and powerful. So 
you know, I heard early on coming into the program that um, you know, acting out is not my problem. Um, that's my attempted solution. And, um, you know, I'm not powerless over a particular behavior. I'm powerless over lust. And the white book talks about that lust is a spiritual force, that it's not something physical. And I know that's true for me. It's the, there was another panel this morning on the disposition of the heart. And that's what's wrong with me, is my heart is predisposed to lust. I'm, by default, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm wired, I don't know what it is, but lust is my default. Without God, I will go back and act out, and I will pick up lust. And with God, I don't do that. I don't have to do that. Um, Surrender is the watchword and the insignia of our program. It took me a long time to even pay attention to that. I'm sure I heard it in meetings a lot longer, you know, than the time that it's sunk in for me. Um, but surrender for me is about the disposition of my heart. It's not about the particular behaviors. It's not about, um, as someone said, it's not about circles. It's not about, um, you know, a slope. For me, it's, it's my heart. Um, one thing that helps me relate to surrender is, um, surrendering my right to things. I don't, I don't have a right to be on social media. I don't have a right to have a smartphone. I don't have a right to watch certain movies. And when I surrender that willingly, there's not a resentment around that. I realize that that's for my own health. That's my higher power providing a path for me. But I don't have that, I don't have the right to those things anymore. I'm a sexaholic. Those things are poison for me. It's lust. It's, it's my heart that responds to those things in a way that is, it's a sexaholic response. But there's freedom to surrender those things. It's not, it does, for me, it's, it's not a, um, it's not a question of lists and do's and don'ts. It's, it's what's the condition of my heart. And I'm so grateful that I have the steps to be able to, help me examine my heart. You know, I have all these tools, all these four-step inventory, seven-step inventory, all these different things that I can use and I can go to people in the program and say, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on inside of my heart. And they'll say, well, have you tried a four-step inventory? Have you tried a seven-step inventory? And no, I don't default think of those things. But now I have those tools. And that helps me get back to what's going on inside my heart. It's so easy for me to focus on the externals and I thought, you know, that's what would keep me sober. But it's 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 the disposition of my heart, and it's surrendering that lust, um, and and recognizing that I have to surrender my right to those things uh, is really for me um, what keeps me connected with surrender and keeps me connected with the solution. Uh, so thanks for letting me share. So we'll open it up for sharing now, because our common welfare comes first. Here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our meeting focuses on the solution to our essay approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. 
In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. In sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic or deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. We can also remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hand. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple dot on their name tag, after the meeting with whom you can share. We ask those who wish to share to please come up and sit in the chair next to the microphone in a queue. Do you want to move over? As one person moves to the sharing chair, the others just move over. I don't really know if we want to use the tiny chair as a shared chair, but feel free to line up. Um, so that as many members as possible have a chance to share, please limit your share to a maximum of two minutes or less. A timer will remind you when you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm a sexaholic. Um, Lust has been on my mind uh, all week, actually. Um, I was thinking about since my childhood, um, I've always seemed to lust after or want the attention of uh, teachers, um, girls in school, (coughs) from elementary school on and um, there were some things that I did that tried to instead of just engaging them and trying to have a conversation um, I would flirt um, if that wasn't if that wasn't facilitated or uh, sent back then I would try to use uh, pity on pity try to get them to pity me for being so alone or whatever, feeling so lonely. And um, and if that didn't get a response, um, one thing uh, that always led to resentment. And, um, but still the lust grew and my my need for them to want me as much as I wanted them uh, would just grow until it festered into resentment. Um, it was uh, it was an amazing day when I realized this just last week um, that I just wanted to share. Thanks. Uh, Mark, recovering sexaholic. There's a a, uh, breakout session this afternoon on rigorous honesty. And I tell you, you just heard some rigorous honesty in here. And I'm really appreciative of that because uh, it seems like the people that uh, are able to to get this program, that's where it starts. And I just, I hear people, I have so much respect for uh, people that are courageous and they're willing to say things that are just difficult to say, but just just are so committed to to uh, 
are so committed to truth and and getting better that it just there's just nothing going to stop it. And I know that's uh, I feel like there's two forces in the universe, and the one that's on the negative side is not like that. The one on the positive side is, is loves it and helps us in any way that we ask. Um, lust, cunning, baffling, and powerful to me was just getting body slammed every day of my life, just not even knowing, not even being aware of this till way up till I was. Uh, uh, shoot, I came into the program at uh, 44. That's a lot of years of uh, just not being aware of what's going on, not being able to have a relationship or a conversation that's really connected with somebody else. Uh, a relationship where I'm looking at TVs around the room, distracted at what's, what's somebody over here doing or whatever. So very thankful for the shares today and grateful to be here. Thanks, Mark. I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexologist, um, and it's Jim. Jim, I appreciate very much your story, and congratulations on your 18 months of sobriety. And um, the, I was really touched by um, how low you had to go <laughs> to get <laughs> to get into recovery, and the the efforts that you put into it. I, as I was thinking about lust being cunning, baffling, and powerful, it, re- it reminded me of a couple of years ago. I had um had a great Sunday and I was um just had gone to a great essay meeting. We have our essay meetings in Macon at three thirty on Sunday and so I, w- I went to the Kroger and um I was in line to check out. Yeah, I just I was really on top of the world and I mean um sober for a couple of years and things were just great. And uh I looked in the crowd and uh, an ex acting out partner was in the grocery store. And, and he started heading back to the bathroom. And I got out of line and I started, I started following him. And it just, it was so instant. And as I was walking toward the back of the store, I started shaking like I was having an epileptic seizure. And I know what was happening is I was getting just massive hits of endorphins. And, uh, I just was, and so the first thing I thought about, I stopped at the deli section and I, I said, I've got to call a sponsee. I've got to call a sponsee right now. And so I called the sponsee and I said, man, I said, I need, I need your help. I said, I'm, I'm in Kroger and, you know, I've, I've probably had the worst lust hit I've had since I've been in recovery. And, um, I was able to pause and, uh, and he, he was such a great guy. The first thing he said was, well, first of all, we got to get your ass out of Kroger. And, and, and I'm like, no doubt, no doubt. And, um, so it, just that, he was, he was in the military at the time and just that com- comedic breakup in the, um, in the thing was just what I needed. And he, he talked me through as I checked out. And then, when I got in the truck, he said, I'm calling you back in five minutes to make sure you didn't turn around. And, uh, but I've, I haven't had a lust hit like that since, but, uh, it's, it's definitely the enemy and it is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Thanks. I'm Joe and I'm sexaholic. Yeah, I was attracted to this, uh, session because of the title, uh, cunning, baffling, and powerful. That's definitely the case. Um, somebody used the word subtle. It's a very subtle disease. I was here in this building yesterday, setting up, setting up these chairs and these tables for this meeting today, and I found myself getting triggered. 
by a female that was here helping get ready for a marathon. I'm getting triggered, right? Um, and I started thinking about it. What? Where is this coming from? You know, this, this stuff seems to come out of nowhere and blindside me. So I'm thinking about how did this start? And it actually started yesterday morning when I went on the computer to read my emails. And um, uh, I'm on AOL. And, you know, when you start out on AOL, there's news. There's pictures of people in the news. And there was a picture of a female athlete. And I wasn't familiar with the person, but she was attractive. And then, of course, there's uh, uh, more pictures that you can see of this person. If you want to click on this over here, there's swimsuit pictures, right? I think that's exactly what got me started on the wrong trail yesterday. I just, this stuff just, it's uh, insidious. It just comes out of nowhere, seemingly. And I have to be very careful. I think, uh, I think Jimmy used the word vigilant. I have to be vigilant uh, because I've got to be careful not only what I, what I look at, what I read, what I watch on TV, what I listen to, the music, everything. I've got to be very careful what I take in because uh, it, it is cunning and baffling and powerful. And, it, and left to my own devices by myself, I'm dead. But with this program, uh, I'm powerless, but I'm not helpless. So I'm thankful to be here. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Thanks, Hey guys, I'm Nick. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, I, I thought of a really good analogy earlier, and I want to share it with everybody. Um, uh, a couple years ago, moved into uh, my house down in South Georgia after taking a job promotion, and um, just decided that uh, that uh, I was under a lot of stress as well, and that uh, I was, um, you know, making the money, making the sacrifices for my family, and I was going to start looking at uh, at porn and and doing whatever I needed to do to, to kill that stress and um it, it took over me for a couple weeks and in the the process my wife was um uh getting the the kids together and the house packed up here uh to move down to middle georgia and um when we moved in the house which was a really big thing for us we, we struggled for a long time with money and um supposedly a joyous time she she caught me i was like looking on my phone as we got in the car and she was driving and i was trying to to look at a text message or something and there like my browser just uh popped up um uh, an image and so she caught me then and um it was so embarrassing she threatened to divorce me and so uh i i white knuckled it for for a year um, but, uh, but had no, no real support. What ended up happening is after a year and after reaching that milestone, uh, without even knowing the essay was a thing, um, I, uh, I started back on my phone just looking at what I would call quasi pornography, whether it's just girls in swimsuits or, 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 um, as a gentleman just shared, uh, uh, just pictures of attractive women or whatever. And, uh, and so <laughs> I akin that to, to, to wearing a pair of skates. I'm, I'm just skating and, and it, it, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, addictive, um, cunning thing. It starts out as something very pretty. And then what it ends up happening as I end up falling ended up into death spiral. Um, and, and what essay has done for me is, um, it's, it's not beautiful. It, it's like a, it's like a big pair of work boots. Um, you put it on, uh, it, it's one foot in front of the other, but you've got that stable platform and, and hard work is, uh, is what's going to bring us out of it. So thanks guys for the share. Thanks Nick. Thanks, Nick. Uh, 
Well, my name's Tommy, and I'm a psychotholic. And if I don't attend another uh, breakout session, uh, this is probably the pinnacle for me. I've never heard the analogy before, but I think I've been living in the little shop of horrors for over 50 years. And uh, there's not a whole lot left of me. Uh, the plant's pretty much eaten me up. I just haven't reached that bottom that you did, and my God, I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> so, um, I, I, like I said, if I don't attend another a breakout session, I've learned more out of this one. I'm taking a whole page of notes here, just from what all of you guys have shared with, and uh, this has been this has been one excellent breakout session. Thank you for your share. Appreciate it. Thank you for letting me share. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm a sexaholic. Um, my cunning, baffling, powerful story was the other day I was trying to get a flu shot. And, uh, I pulled in a plaza that had a... I went to a drugstore first and they told me to go to an immediate medical place and uh, I pulled in a plaza with an immediate medical place, and um, I, I tried the door, and it was locked. And then I noticed it had a massage parlor in the same plaza. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I was walking back to my car, and I noticed a, a brand-new Porsche with a fur coat on the front seat, and I was immediately triggered by that. And I just thought, wow, you know, that's what it takes. It takes me to humanize an acting out partner and that's what triggers me I had no plans to go to the massage parlor, I didn't go to the massage parlor but I started thinking about that Porsche and I started thinking about the owner of that Porsche and the owner of that fur coat and I thought you know, I bet you I could buy I could buy her a Porsche it would be a used Porsche <laughs> but, uh, anyway as I was pulling out of the parking lot, I noticed that the entire parking lot was filled up with pickup trucks. And there, then I started looking at the, the tags, and they were from outlying counties, and I just thought, wow, I am so grateful that I don't have to do this. You know, I, I get to pull out of this parking lot and be free, and, and I don't have to do this. And, and it's, you know, thanks to my higher power and thanks to you guys. Thanks for letting me share. I'll break the silence. Hey guys, I'm Dan W. I'm a sexaholic. The really baffling thing about lust for me is it doesn't even take like any nudity or anything gratuitous. I could I could be triggered by something um, as simple as an attractive face, maybe a makeup ad or something. There's absolutely nothing morally objectionable about such an image or a person, but it will trigger me. And I might go for weeks, months, and I'll feel near invincible. I'll be like, I'm doing good. I have no troubles with lust. Deep downside, I still know I'm a sexaholic, but I'll be like, yeah, I think maybe maybe I've cracked it. And then next thing I know, something so simple that would have never triggered me, say, a year and a half ago, because it just wouldn't have been stimulating enough, gets me. It gets me really good. 
What I've been, uh, you know, trying to figure out is what what is it that causes that breakdown after like four mm-hmm. weeks of there, not not even a hint of struggle. What is it that tears me down? And for me, it always seems to be what is my what is my emotional state? How are my relationships with you know the people who are important in my life, with uh, the fellowship and with God myself? And usually, if I if I look, I can find like. There's something that I've just been kind of pushing aside, putting under the rug, or I don't want to deal with because it's too much trouble. And it'll be those things that then lead me back into the self-soothing that got me into trouble in the first place with pornography and masturbation. Because that was, that was always the problem. I'd just put everything under the rug, and then I would deal with the emotional consequences through pornography. But now I find that it's... Uh, it's not it's not huge issues, but now it's the little ones, and so I have to keep working at that. So that's that's how lust is uh, cunning and baffling for me. It sneaks up on you, um, and y- you can't even quite tell what it was until after the fact, and you just kind of examine it. But uh, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. My name is Brett. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Brett. Thank you for breaking the ice. Um, I've been trying to think of what lust is, and I, the times I've tried to draw it out, it's this evil, bloody, monstrous thing. And I used to think self-knowledge, if I understood it, I could fix it. Um, and I've come to learn that that doesn't work. It is baffling. I, I don't know what it is. It's powerful. It can consume me. Um, but I do know what it does to me. And I used to think it was what caused me from looking at one image to want to look at the next. Then I realized it's more around the planning to start looking at images. And then I realized it was more, even deeper than that, it was the wanting to justify me time, uh, ego, and... Um, there's so many layers to this, and I feel like I've only taken off the first couple, but it's a scary thing. It's um, it's more powerful than I am. I am powerless. I've come to learn that, and um, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Hi, I'm Charles. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Charles. Uh, lust is, for me... The, the the subject the reason we're in here it, it is very cunning baffling it's very progressive like you talked about in your story Jim and I appreciate that uh, it took me over sixty years to come into the program but uh, but it's never too late so because I came uh, soon enough to to get sober and that's uh, that's a progressive thing also. But to get sober so that I could uh, appreciate my grandchildren. So I'm, I'm remarried for, for um, about three years, and my wife and I together have 12 grandchildren. And there's nothing, there's nothing better than to be able to listen to them, to be present with them, and hear what, what they're saying, hear what's going on in their lives, and just, uh, just being there like I was never there, uh, for those over 60 years that I was uh, 
that I was not sober. And that started, uh, that started in my teenage years. I started lusting then. I didn't know I was doing it. But I'm so thankful for SA and, uh, and it is the solution. Thank you. Bobby, I'm a sexaholic. And lust for me isn't just about um, women. You know, for me, lust can be about a new truck or, um, you know, equipment to go along with my hobby. Um, Or just, you know, the new cell phone coming out. Um, It's really about just anything I don't have that I want. Um, And, you know, the way that that I've kind of learned to combat that, um, you know, for me is to just kind of try to be content with what I have. Um, I don't always need, you know, that new, new tool on the tool truck. You know, when the, when the tool guy comes by and he's trying to sell that thing, you know, my first instinct is I can pay 20 bucks a month for whenever and I can get this thing, you know, but I don't really need that. I do perfectly fine at my job with what I have. Um, and I have to take myself back a notch every time and just realize um, you know God's given me what I need already I don't need you know a new woman I don't need a new truck I don't need a new tool I don't need a new anything I already have what I need um, you know and this program has taught me that that you know my lust is bigger than just what I see with my eyes it's uh, it's anything I want that I don't need thank you Hey, I'm Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, I'm allergic to pollen, and I'm also allergic to lust. And I appreciate your reminder. I, I can relate to your story about going into the gym. Uh, the you know LA Fitness or those kind of things I've done that too, and I'm just reminded that uh, our literature says uh, a problem's threefold. One of those is physical, and there's just a lot of things I've had to develop the habit and, uh, to do physically that helps me. And once they're a habit, it, it's hopefully becomes a way of life. But just like. Uh, you know, pollen's in the world and it's there for a purpose and it's good and it's natural and lust is a natural thing. It is not going to go away just because I have a problem with it, nor is pollen going to go away. And, and they have a, they have their purpose. They're here for a reason. But I can't handle either one of them very well. So I have to do physical things uh, to deal with them both. And the idea of, um, that you reminded us of looking in the eye when I'm talking to her, uh, when I do that, I'm able to listen to what she's saying more intently. And she goes from being an object to somebody with a story to tell and a person I can relate with, which is really what I want is, is a relationship, a real, a real connection with somebody that I wasn't able to get. So I tried through fantasy and of course that didn't work out. But there's, uh, I know early on, I've been coming here five years now, but early on I, I would, when my awareness was raised about all of this, 
I would still, you know, my eyes would avert and follow, and then it just seemed like it would take literally about three seconds for me to say, oh, there I go, and snap out of it. And I'm reminded of the line in the uh, big book where it talks about, uh, I, I recoiled as from a flame when I had that awareness introduced to me. And it's like, good grief, this thing I've been doing my whole life is bad for me. Um, I have to stop. Uh, I have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to stop doing those habits. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. 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 Hey, I'm Tom. I'm powerless over lust. Hey, Tom. Um, lust is cunning, powerful, and baffling. Uh, those, those are really. That's a, such a powerful expression. I was sitting here trying to think of. I believe I have an example for each one of those descriptors of lust. Um, starting with uh, how lust has, lust has been cunning toward me recently is that uh, my most recent struggles in the area of lust have been with pornography, but. For whatever reason, um, uh, probably through a combination of strategies, lately it hasn't been so much pornography. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, I find some very intense fantasies coming to mind. Fantasies of, of people that I knew back in high school, you know, 40 years ago. Ridiculous in how cunning lust is. That is, if I somehow manage to get one of the... Um, one of the uh, tools of lust, pornography under control, it pops up, and it can pop up in so many different areas. And that's one reason to me why it's so cunning. Uh, one reason, one example of how I think it's baffling to me is that uh, at one point I had about 18 months of sobriety, and um, I was done in in terms of calendar sobriety by um, by a wrestling match I would get in with my web filters. So when I had my 18 months, I didn't even have any uh, anti-porn filters on my computers, but then I got some. And all of a sudden, I became aware that, oh, I wonder if there's a workaround. I better test it. I better see if, I better make sure it's blocking this. I better make sure it's blocking that. Well, if that's not baffling, if that's not a baffling way to get me uh, to fall, that's, uh, I think that's a good word for it, that I would, uh, you know, be caught up in this intrigue and tease of trying to figure out whether my filters were working and therefore succumb again to, uh, to lust. And last then, um, it's so powerful. Of course, um, I, through the program, I've, I've come to even last night, um, I was watching a, a, uh, sitcom, one of the most popular ones on, on a mainstream network TV, uh, channel. And I, I think I've, I've now, Finally, I can't watch that sitcom anymore because there's a, uh, a person in there that I've kind of become um, uh, noticing for, for lust purposes. And I even uh, last night kind of Googled that person and looked at their sort of uh, acting career. And so, uh, you know, I got to recognize that for what it is and stop uh, and uh, stop with that. And uh, lastly, um, uh, and the program has also taught me about the language of lust and how much I do better when I'm not uh, engaging in the language of lust, whether that's, uh, you know, over-the-top profanity or uh, uh, references to sex acts. So those are the ways that I've discovered how uh, powerful, cunning, and baffling lust is. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks.
Hi, I'm Rich Pia. Great for covering sexaholic. Uh, I appreciate the topic. I appreciate the shares. Um, the way that lust is cutting, baffling, and powerful to me, um, the type of sex addict I am, I'm a low-bottom sex addict, low-bottom sex drunk, and I involved acting out in like the daily things of life, church, grocery stores, parking lots, bathrooms, just places that you would normally go and be in your normal life that you would have to be. And I find myself sometimes when I'm back in those places... Like, I'll have a recall or a memory of lust. And um, so it's always there in a way. And I've, I've come to accept that lust seems to always be there. But the, the literature is powerful because Roy talks about this. And it's a lot in the 18-wheeler. But, um, like, I worship lust. I worship the spirit of lust. So what's my alternative? And there's only one that's stronger than the spirit of lust. And for me... That has been the presence of God. So when Roy K. talks in the 18-wheeler, he uses very specific language, and he doesn't use the concept of God or the idea of God or, you know, thinking of God. He says the presence of God, and there's like two or three pages where he says it six times. And I think that means something. That's just not a coincidence, and, you know, Roy was very deliberate in his writings. So I just start to anchor into that and press into that. And, you know, God, show me your presence. Reveal your presence. That's the only thing that could overcome lust for me. So I'm in those moments. I just seek and I pray for the presence of God. And it works. Like, it always works. It's not like it's a, like, it's not a half measure. It's a, I'm, I'm going after what the literature says to ask the presence of God in. And when the presence of God descends, lust has to flee. It's like... When I turn on the light in this room, darkness doesn't sometimes stay or doesn't stay half dark in here. The lights go on and it always gets bright in here. And that's how the presence of God dispels the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of lust for me. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Rich. Good afternoon. My name is Ricky. Grateful, recovering sexaholic, powerless over lust. Um, I remember coming into the program thinking that, you know, I didn't need to be here just kept, you know, just hearing these people's story. And eventually I realized that I, I, I do need to be here. First I realized I did have a problem. I wasn't sex addict. And then I realized some other things that was coming along. But lust was the last thing that I thought I had a problem with. Until one day uh, it just dawned on me that I was just out and it just seemed like that powerlessness just kind of took over me. And it's like everywhere I turned, I was lusting after someone or something. And I said, man, I really do have a problem uh, with this lust. And even in during my quiet time, that was one of the things that I was fearful of letting God know that I had a problem with lust. And I was constantly asking him to take this away from me because, you know, I know it wasn't good for me and I didn't want it to, and I didn't want it to be a part of me anymore. And for the longest, I couldn't understand why it seemed like everything else that I was asking God for to help me with seemed like he was there answering my, you know, giving me, leading me and directing me on how to overcome things that I was struggling with. But it was still this one issue with lust that I was having a problem with. And then one morning during my private time, share uh, prayer time with God this, his voice just spoke to me and he was like I was letting him know that I was angry with him that he removed everything except for this Then, was, and then in the still little small voice he was like I'm not ready to remove that from you yet 
And I was like, well, why? You know, I'm asking, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trusting you. And the little voice said, if I remove it from you now, you will not have a need for me later. And that was so powerful for me to actually hear God speak. I hadn't heard him speak to me like that in a long time. But when I heard that, I realized that this disease of this part of my life, lust that I didn't want to admit to him or anybody, was still powerful in my life and I needed it. So I'm just grateful that my higher power spoke to me and realized how much I really need him when it comes to my lust. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Guys, I'm, excuse me, Kevin, a sexaholic. Uh, great, grateful to be here. Grateful for all the shares and the, uh, the, 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 the shares from here too. Um, I'm 21 days today and I'm realizing over the last three or four days, I'm checking out everything that's breathing. I mean, no matter where I go in public, I mean, if I see a guy, if I see a girl, I'm checking them out. I'm looking. And I'm surrendering it over and over and over and over again, but some days it just gets so overwhelming. And I'm realizing just how much of me this disease has got. I'm realizing just, just how much of what's in here, um, is, is messed up by this disease that I've been practicing for the last 40 years. So grateful to be here and thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, gentlemen, I'm Gary. I'm a sexaholic. Yeah. Um, these shares are just uh, phenomenal. I'm sitting back there thinking, of, dang, there's something I want to share, but I don't know what it is. Lord, please lead me. Let me know what it is I want to share. And the thing that gets me about lust is the baffling part, because I consider myself a pretty intelligent person. I'm a problem solver. So my whole life I've been trying to figure this out. I remember being seven years old, walking home from school on a rainy day back then. In the early 60s, you could walk home from school. So I was walking home from school, and I see in the street, in the gutter, this little clip. It's a, a little button off of a woman's garter belt. And I see it laying there, and I pick it up, and I worship it, and I treasure it, and I bring it home, and I hide it. And as I think throughout my life, this lust thing had a hold of me when I was seven or eight years old. I've been figuring it out since then. I'm going to figure this thing out now because I'm smart. I'm going to figure this out. I can't figure it out. There, there's no, there's no logic behind it. There's no reasoning. There's no figuring out. It, it's my heart. That's what it is. It's my heart. It's not my mind. So I just wanted to share that. If y'all are still trying to figure it out, let me know if you figure it out because I can't. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Hey, I'm Keenan. I'm a sexaholic. Um, something you just shared kind of resonated with me about um, just kind of thinking I'm such a smart guy. Um, and all uh, growing up, I felt like I always tried to outsmart anything that was in my way, whether it was um, uh, like like a share earlier, uh, blockers on the computer, always thinking, oh, there's a way around this. I got this. There's a way around this. Or just cover it, whether it's covering up my tracks or... Um, or, or whatever it may be, uh, finding different ways to act out or different uh, avenues to go down. Or I always felt, man, I am clever. I can. There's so many different ways around this or this. But as clever as I am, the baffling thing is, lust is still smarter than I am. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey, I'm Jerry. I'm sex holic. Uh, you know, counting back from power for, uh, I'm a sex offender, and when I was on probation, you had to take polygraph tests, and uh, they want to know what I masturbated to. And, uh, the first time I took one, y'all you know, weren't supposed to look at porn, though, so I looked at porn and lied until they sent me back to prison for it, and uh, yeah, so I got out, and uh, I started masturbating to memories. You know, I ended up going back to prison for it. For, uh, I got out again. No, I have to take a polygraph test, and uh, I made it one time. I made it five months, four weeks, well, three weeks and six days, and had to take a polygraph the next day, and uh, you still masturbated. I couldn't to back to memories, and uh, yes, why would you a normal person, a sane person, you know, wouldn't continue to do that? No, that's kind of baffling, powerful to me. And uh, also, one time I went to, when I started wanting to get sober sexually and uh, from drugs and alcohol. I went and tried AA and for I got 30 days clean in AA and I kept bringing up the I didn't really know I had a sex problem but I knew well I like to call it a lust problem because I knew I had a sex problem but I didn't really know what the you know lust manifests and comes out and the white book says it you know right on the first step it talks about the third option and uh says you're either going to act out sexually or through drugs, alcohol, overeating, or, or white knuckling, and the third option is surrender. And I, I couldn't, I never found, I didn't understand what I needed to surrender. And uh, to me, surrender is my own desires. And that's sick. That's that's on all fronts. And uh, I just want to share that. Thank Thank you. You. That's all the time we have. Thank you for participating. Please join me in thanking our panel. Anything you've heard at the meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. And what you say here, let it stay here. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. Let's circle up as best we can. Maybe just grab a hand close by. And after a moment of silent meditation, Mark, will you lead us in the prayer of your choice? Will you lead us in the prayer? Sure. Lord God, Heavenly Father. Mark, will you lead us in the prayer of your, uh, the program prayer of your choice? Oh, somebody else is going to do it. Okay. Do it. Tommy. I'll do it. Who brought us all here? Our Father. Our Lord in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep them back to the worst of the work, to the hour of the day, every night, and the work. Good job, Jim.